Welcome to the Connection Project Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Olson. In my search for personal truth and a deep desire to allow more joy into my life experience, I discovered the power of connection. Join me as I interview incredible guests and learn of their amazing journeys to personal well-being. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Connection Project Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to my guest today. Caleb Bairds is from Pender Island, and we are gathered here today through Zoom. Um, We've still got some restrictions uh, with the COVID situation, so we're making it work. Um, I think it's important to let you know that Caleb has an extremely incredible uh, bio. He is an artist, a writer, a designer, an editor, uh, a photographer. Um, He's lived everywhere from New York to LA and has done some pretty interesting work. Um, Large-scale commercial campaigns, um, design concepts, branding, He's been a rowing coach, editor of the Harvard Lampoon magazine. He holds an Artium Baccalaureate in psychology at uh, Harvard. That's a BA degree, and um, he got honors in that. But how we've come to be together today is um, Caleb is a dear friend to my husband. They've known each other since childhood. And a couple years ago, I saw Caleb present a really awesome uh, uh, project through a Pachacucha night where I got to see some of the work he just, he's done, and, and uh, it was quite memorable for me. So we've since reconnected, and our family has visited him and his family on the island, and I was just so inspired by his work and the projects that he has ongoing. And since having a few meetings um, recently, Caleb and I have decided to partner up and he has graciously agreed to be uh, the artistic director for the 2020 Connection Project, which is a mental health storytelling (laughs) event that uh, we hold annually. This year, it's going to be the same and different in in how we put it out there, and that's that's all still in the works. But there's so much more I can say. But Caleb, I'm going to let it come through you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here today. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to um, be able to do something like this, even though we are under travel restrictions and gathering restrictions and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was so neat that we got in that visit before beforehand and I got to see your your farm why don't you tell me a little bit about the situation and where you are uh, right now um, okay um, my wife and I um, bought a little piece of land on Pender Island around two years ago we'd been looking for a piece of rural property for quite some time as she is a fiber artist and has been raising alpacas for um, probably going on eight years now so she 
wanted to live with them basically and, and or wanted them to live with us so we had been searching for uh a farm um and we ended up finding this piece of land that is not quite a farm but it's uh on the way and so over the last couple of years we've um, renovated the old um, amateur made log cabin on the property we've cleared a lot of the scrubby brush and small trees off the land in order to make pasture for the animals we've built a, a shelter for the alpacas and we're slowly turning it into a farm and it's it's uh in the middle of north pender island um which is uh one of the gulf islands between victoria and vancouver and it's it's uh quite rural not a lot going on here in terms of you know uh your typical urban stuff but there's a ton going on in terms of nature in terms of um um being able to witness natural processes taking place and and um we're loving it wow that's a that's a, a better description than I could have done. I think we visited. It was quite rainy. We had the kids in tow, and um, gosh, it was such a gift to come and be in your space. Because it's, I mean, it's just so uh, welcoming, and and your family's so lovely. We were treated to uh, homemade pasta, and you know, it was it was hard to go to bed that night after watching you and uh, Adam, my husband, talking and getting to see some of your work. Um, yeah, actually, while I'm on that subject, tell us about the um, the sort of cartoon uh, style artwork that you were working on uh, that evening and sharing with us. Okay. Um, one of the projects that I've worked on and continue to work on over the last few years is designing characters for um, television shows. And as a result of having been an editor at the Harvard Lampoon, I ended up being friends with a lot of TV writers, many of whom write for network animated shows because animation is a, believe it or not, a, a very writerly medium. Writers can basically write whatever they want and you can make it happen without having to, you know, manage a huge production. It's all, all drawn so it can be, pretty freeing for a writer. So a lot of my best joke writing friends have ended up in TV and, uh, and I've started helping some of them to design characters for their own shows, the ideas that they have for shows, just as a result of going down there um, and just hanging out, spending time and um, talking. Um, and that led to uh, working on a couple of shows that sold to networks um uh but didn't end up going anywhere after that um and it led to me deciding that i wanted to see if i could come up with an idea for a show on my own and create all the characters create the story create the setup and the concept and put together a package that could um communicate what the concept is all about so that's what i was working on i had um, a bunch of different characters and uh, an outline of how they all relate to one another. And I've been working on the story, which is the, the toughest thing for me because um, um, 
it's just difficult to write good stories, to write stories that are compelling and have good jokes and have, you know, uh, reasonable, believable plots that make you feel invested in the characters. It's, um, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and even more so uh, being in a place like Pender where um, I don't have immediate access to um, a bunch of friends who are great writers. I can't just go over to their house and hang out for the evening and go back and forth on a bunch of stuff. I, I'm kind of, as much as that should be easy, given things like Zoom and um, uh, Skype and FaceTime and everything, it actually takes a fair bit of coordination and, and structure um, in order to, to, to make that happen. And I feel like, um, you know, for, for my friends down there who all have writing jobs, when they come home, the last thing they want to do is work on the show of some non-writer. They have their own shows they're working on too. So um, it's coming. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope to go down in, uh, go down to LA in, in oh, I was going to say the summertime, but we're kind of here already. Um, go down when we're allowed to and try and get in front of some network executives and say, hey, here's what I'm working on. What, what do I have to do from here to make it uh, make it uh, something that could be on your network? Um, is it something that could mm -hmm. get there? So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's one of my current projects. Yeah. Um, it's something I've been chipping away at for a while, um, but it's, it's really neat because the concept um, reflects a lot of my reality now um, in, in not in this little cabin, not an off-grid place like the like in the concept, um, but in a in a remote rural location. And it also reflects a lot of the thoughts and ideas and delusions and challenges that I had um, during some of the um, bipolar episodes that I've had. Mm. Um, you know, I figured if I could go through uh, some serious mental health challenges and, and come out the other side with something meaningful, then it, it isn't all for a loss. I mean, if I can go through and come out the other side at all, it's, it's not, not all lost, so. Yeah, so interesting. Oh my goodness, there's so much in what you just said that I wanna touch on. Um, something that you said at the end made me think about um, before I kind of had sorted out my own mental health challenges in my sort of mid to late twenties. Um, it took a lot longer than that, but just <laughs> in that period of my life, I, I turned 42 last week. So it gives you an idea of the journey, but um, I remember it, there was bipolar was thrown around a little bit with me. Mm -hmm. um, then it went to, to a, a severe depression, uh, but whatever it never actually, for me, never, never mattered. I just knew I was feeling a bit off, but one thing about, uh, the, the experience of like super high anxiety to super low depressions is 
areas in which creativity um, flow in and out of those. And for mm. me, the writing seemed to come in the depression mm. and the, the artistry, like the, the actual, like drawing, painting, those kind of things would often come in the anxiety and almost, almost manic stages were like unbelievably creative times for me. I remember one time I stayed up for three days and I decided to do sort of um, watercolor, but just black, black, and then the absence of black, right? Uh, watercolor, which were some um, some of my best uh, art pieces. I did Catherine Hepburn, Nina Simone, Billie Holiday, and um oh Edith Piaf and mm. so I just I just took artists that inspired me because I was like maybe they've got something to teach me while I'm trying to figure out who I am and what the heck's going on in my life um so I'd love to know what your creative process is and and where you feel you get like surges of just mass creativity and other times when you feel like you know the quote writer's block or what have you Hmm. Um, I think I've felt the mass creativity, um, during the manic phases and I've got a lot of work done during the sort of in between phases, but depression for me has been quite encompassing and it's been difficult when I'm in a uh, depressive stage to really do anything at all you know it can be hard just to get myself out of bed just to you know take care of my v very basic needs so yeah I found that during the manic stages or, or phases I've had all sorts of idea-based creativity so like I could do this I could do that I could take this together you know and it's really it's really associative it's really high energy and I want to share things right away I want to test them and see if they work right away but then it rarely sticks you know like it, it's like I'll fill up a sketchbook with scribbles and come back to it later and realize that a small fraction of it makes sense or as useful in any way. Um, and a lot of it is just sort of, not gibberish, but it's kind of like, okay, yeah, this is repetitive or I, I, can't, I can't do anything with this. So that that's what I, I meant to say about the in-between times when it's not, I'm not necessarily having a ton of ideas, but I'm, you know, as a result of having developed some degree of discipline in my working life i can get things done and just sort of go to the space that i need to go to and sit down and work on the stuff you know it's become a little difficult now with a, a young baby but and essentially one room house but i can still come into the space that i know is like designated for work and pick a thing that a i either need to get done um for a client or b need to do for myself and just work on it you know open up the document look at it force myself to type some stuff out or force myself to make a drawing just erase something 
redraw it, you know, do the work. Yeah. And I, and I think during my most intense um, manic phase, um, when, when it got scary, I was describing a, a lot of it to my wife and I had to give, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, I had to describe it to the psychiatric professional, professionals at the hospital. Um, and so I had, I had this record of what I was going through. Um, even if I don't remember all of it myself and I was able to draw from that to help make some of these character ideas or story ideas and it, and it sort of set up this, the, the concept that I've been working on for a while, the show wow. content. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting talking about the in-between parts. I get what you mean about that. You want to share it immediately. You get just so excited, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, thinking in terms of this project that you and I are going to explore in the next few months, I have this firmly held belief now that anything is possible. <laughs> it, it's just where I've got to in my life. And I truly, truly, truly believe it. Anything is possible. You can, you can do, have, or experience anything you want. And the, the only thing that has really gotten in, in the way for me is self-doubt and the feeling of unworthiness because of the chipping away of things like anxiety or depression or life circumstance or trauma or whatever it is, right? And so there's been this simultaneous experience in doing the first couple of years of this project where I've noticed things kind of clear the way for work that I believe universally is being asked to be done through us. And I'll just let the listeners know you did share with me um, some storytelling you did about your experience in your life with these things that are in the background, things like, you know, mental health stuff. And I feel that when we share through story, whether it be art or the written word or spoken word or some form of creation that comes out of us it, it kind of allows its own healing so I, I definitely have encouraged people involved in the project you yourself are going to be a speaker this year which I'm super excited about I always share another aspect of my story through the project each year as a way to encourage and support and, and be sort of a, a foundation for others to know that it's a safe space and we're all here to, to support one another. What are the things that hold you back in terms of that, like separating from being fearful that it's coming from a manic place and like you've got to tamper it down? Like, is there a line in there for you where you go, okay, so yeah, that may be driven by my specific mental state, but yet there's beauty in there too. How, what could I share from this situation or creative creative thing that's bursting from me i mean i i think that self-doubt is a, a hallmark of any creative person i don't think there's anybody who at least anybody who does stuff that's worth getting involved with who who doesn't go you know I, i'm terrible i'm not doing this right i'm isn't is anybody going to like this do i like myself do you know mm. um why this and not 
any other thing? How do I know that I'm doing the right thing? You know, all of these thoughts that we have when we're, or I have when I'm doing creative work, I know are, or at least I understand to be shared amongst all people who are doing creative work, or at least the kind of creative work that I really, I love and connect with. You know, I, I am the kind of person who um, connects with work that is flawed and imperfect and not necessarily, quote unquote, professionally produced. That's the kind of stuff that I like the most. I like rickety, dangerous stuff. You know, it's like going on a, a new modern roller coaster that has, you know, fits 10 people across and goes a gazillion miles an hour, does corkscrews and loops and all kinds of stuff. And you come back, you're like, whoa, that was crazy. But never do you feel the same kind of fear that you feel going on like a rickety old wooden roller coaster that tip pitches too far forward too quickly. And you kind of like, you, you only have a little lap bar and it's not quite sitting right. You're not sure if it's going to hold that kind of fear, that kind of thrill is like the real thrill to me, the kind of the, the stuff that is amazing because it's imperfect or it's amateur or it's, you know, it doesn't follow the normal rules or it's like to, it was done before we knew what, before people knew what they were doing, you know? And I think it's, it's a, I mean, this is a much bigger conversation, but I think it's a symptom of a kind of, of a litigious society, of a society that's scared of failing, of a society that like tries to shore up all of its resources against failure. And so it creates things that are so predictable and so perfect that they have no magic in them. You know, I mean, I understand it in some ways for like medicine, but at the same time, um, yeah, that, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the same time, I also think that, you know, we're probably just as happy before all of these advances that we get to enjoy today. And we're still people, we're still people, you know, we don't, we may have advanced a little bit physiologically psychologically but not nearly as fast as the technology that we've created to surround ourselves with mm. you know it's like when you go in an old classic car and it feels loose and the steering wheel moves like halfway before it actually steers the car at all and it just feels like it's just dangerous <laughs> whereas oh, now whereas now like you know the whole car turns into a marshmallow the moment it, hit, it hits a stop sign and you can't get hurt <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah i know i'm glad my experience of driving off a cliff and getting airborne in a vehicle was in one of the older cars than the newer (laughs) ones because uh you know we were able to get out nothing no electrical system failed it just it just hit a tree and it was solid right like didn't nothing fancy happened yeah um that's a really i love your uh i love your analogy about the roller coaster Mm. I watched uh, that movie La La Land the other night and was thinking about um, just the idea of of putting your heart into something, putting your heart into a dream or dreams, because I don't believe it's always just one thing. Um, Mm -hmm. For some, it might be, or it might start out that way. Um, All the different ways that we can get there. And... um, I, I love doing that kind of discovery with people and seeing where story can get us and, and the many, many roads to get there. 
So what is, um, what is your kind of one, if you do have a one thing, I know you've done so many things, but there, is there a one thing that you hold that's just been your, your buddy, your whole life. That's just there. Um, maybe a thought you go to about a project or an idea of something you wanted to not so much achieve, but, um, embrace into your, to your story of your life. Hmm. No, I'm not sure. I haven't really, well, I certainly don't have like a, like a mantra or a, a particular memory or an object or a piece of my resume or something that I can always go back to and say like, this is, this is validating for me. Mm. Um, but I do think that I'm proud of the fact that I've allowed myself to be vulnerable and to be um, willing to risk being hurt in order to maybe feel the the thing that I'm trying to get to that could that could hurt me. For example, becoming an editor at the Lampoon um, involves a very elaborate initiation process and some might call it cruel and unusual um but it's just mostly cruel and unusual (laughs) um but it it involves a series of sort of bait and switches where they go you're gonna do this thing and you gotta do this thing and then and then the thing that you're supposed to do you're you can't do it right because there's no right way to do it. And then they say that you failed and then they go, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Cause this is the actual thing that you're supposed to do. And then they take you, you do that thing and you give yourself to that thing and you do it. And then they're like, Oh, you failed, but it doesn't matter. Cause this is the actual thing that you're supposed to do. And then they go, no, 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 just kidding. Just kidding. This is the real thing that you have to do. And they make you you know, work for days on this. Thing. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like this series of, of like, yeah, of disappointments, but also like, oh, you got me um, kind of moments, but also this brilliance um, because it, it, it breaks down the very idea that there is one thing that's going to solve your problems. There's one thing that you're going to do that's going to be the magic bullet. And out of all of the, the people that were going through initiation when I went through it, um, and they're not a lot, usually half a dozen, but I did see a lot of people after I got on staff go through it. I, I think I was like the most emotionally committed to the process and the most, I would say gullible. Like every time they tell me like, you got to do this new thing. I go, like, okay, I'll do it. And I put my head down and just, <laughs> just go for it. And, you know, it's right down to the very last moment of the initiation. It's, it, you know, they, they're screwing with you. And I fell for it every single time. And that's, I think, why I love being a part of the Lampoon so much. And why I think they sort of, the staff sort of embraced me, uh, even though I don't fit the, the Lampoon mold, which is generally super writerly, nerdy, intellectual. Um, yeah, I think I just w- w- was somebody who wasn't skeptical like most of the staff most of the people who were getting involved where I was just sort of like, yeah, well, this is what I got to do. I'll do it. Um, and, and so I think that quality is probably the thing that I come back to as being, I don't know, a cornerstone to my character is the idea that 
when I want to do something, I'm willing to put my head down, silence the <laughs> silence the doubts while I'm working and just do the work. Wow. It's so. so funny. Also, uh, I learned some tools through Brene Brown about um, the critic. I don't know if you've ever seen any of her TED or YouTube videos. I saw Just, her in some cheesy movie about wine country. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> With Tina Fey, yeah. maybe? I don't know. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I went, when I was doing a project, uh, I, I watched them because the the storytelling she does around the critic and who the critic really is and all of these things. And she went into different aspects of it. But one of the things I got to learn through her teachings was my interpretation of the critic was versions of people that I had created in my head that weren't even really what those people were like. I had just used them and, and placed them in my head and created all these stories Mm. Um, about what they would think or what they would say and every single one of them ended up being wrong but what I did was I I used a tool that she put forth which was to reserve a seat for your critic like literally reserve a seat in the front row in the audience hmm. and set it aside and, and you can keep it unnamed so the other audience members don't actually know but you just go okay and there's a place for you too right there's a place for that and for me it was always um, a big deal. And then it became less of a deal, less of a deal, less of a deal to the point where, you know, opening night, it was, thank you for teaching me that I could be strong or that I could overcome, even though I felt those fears. I always, um, I don't know who coined the, the phrase, like feel the fear and, and, and move through it or move through it anyway, so, something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, that's sometimes a really big driving force. Um, crippling anxiety is a little bit different than fear but um i feel that there's an element of the experience of being unwell that while you're unwell whether it's long periods of depression or or bouts of anxiety where it's like you're banking time for later and it it almost holds this like zest because you're saying to yourself when i'm out of this I'm going to do this or this or this, or I know there's another side, or I know there's another way where I can exist without this, but right now I'm so in it. Mm. Um, and I kind of bank time like that. And I go, it's fine. I'm just experiencing what I'm experiencing right now, whether it's, you know, sadness or grief or, or fear or the unknown, the unknown's a really great teacher too, mm -hmm. which kind of leads me to, this interest I have in, you know, the difference between happiness, because I would always strive for happiness. And I've realized that for me, it's not so important. More than that, joy. What, what is Caleb's experience? What is your experience with joy? With joy? Well, recently, I mean, it's being a, becoming a father. Um, and hearing my little guy laugh mm. um it's a joyful feeling like none i've ever heard or none i've ever had sound like i've never heard but i don't i mean i don't know i don't i don't necessarily think a lot about the concept of joy i maybe because i i associate that word with a kind of like really vibrant kind of 
outgoing emotion and the thing the place that i like to be or most like to be is just in a a place where i'm able to almost lose myself in in into a piece of work it's like being in a trance whether i'm writing or drawing or carving or finding materials or whatever um cleaning <laughs> Oh, I hear uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> tidying up um, to just be going. Yeah, this is this is feels good. Like I don't have any worries. I don't have any. I, I don't. You know, I'm in a flow state. I think about oh, it. Love that. Think, think about it like a like um. Yeah, flow state. That's joyful to me. Mm. Where it's it's not necessarily about that outward expression of positive emotion because when that happens to me i'm like what's going on i think there's something wrong right now <laughs> you know because i have you know i think joy as as it might be defined in the dictionary or described by somebody it has visited me in manic periods when i feel that like everything's going right and i'm crushing it Woo! And then looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I was just destroying relationships or I was making a mess or I was, you know, in that time where I felt like things were going great, I was actually flying off the rails. Maybe it's just me getting older, but the times that I am most happy or I guess find the kind of joy that resonates with me is in those flow, flow moments where I'm just working on something simple. I mean, I spend, I spend a lot of time out in the yard right now too. The chainsaw, <laughs> cutting down trees, sorting trees, limbing trees, thinking about what I'm going to make with all this stuff, you know, that feels really good. Yeah. Or, or even, yeah, even when I'm on a, some sort of client project and I feel it starting to come together and I see it starting to come together and the bits and pieces start to start to work um i get i get that feeling of like okay no like i'm not gonna get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get out of this without uh too much damage that's yeah i mean maybe it's not quite the ultra positive answer but that's yeah I, i'm i think i'm i since since i got onto the lamboon um being not a skeptic at all i've become much more of a skeptic and not not because of the lampoon but just because of life <laughs> yeah yeah so interesting so interesting to get another perspective and you had mentioned about being vulnerable and and that was uh yeah an, an element of that showing that there and oh wow yeah the the ways in which we see the world are really interesting it resonated with me when you talked about placing or attributing voices to various people in your life or various people that you knew even though that wasn't their 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 voice it's so often we see the world we don't so often we don't see the world we see ourselves we see what we want to see we see what we're looking for and uh i think a lot about in terms of love because in the months after our son was born, I just felt like I was in love. I was like, everything's great. I'm like, I'm lo I was looking for the good things about 
about life. And I think we do that when, when we're in romantic love as well. You know, you, you convince yourself that you're in love with somebody and then you look for all the little signs that point towards why you should be with that person, whether those signs are there or not, you're, that's what you're interpreting. I heard this song on the radio and I did, you know, was playing in the time when we, they were out for, yeah, you have these, you you create these narratives in your head that ultimately are just in your head. (laughs) Oh man, I have not even thought about that type of thing in a long time. I, I started to hide those things about myself, to be completely honest, like several years ago, like just I would look for signs in everything. In the last podcast, I actually talked about it with my guest, Joseph, and just mentioning about how one of my particular sort of obsessive thinking things that I do, and it's, it's not about being in judgment about it, but I'm, I'm constantly looking for meaning. And so I will place it in things that it's really kind of irrelevant, but because it means something to me, it, it, it helps make sense of the world around me. And allows me to continue you know toward my path I guess but yeah I used to do it in extremely unhealthy ways Mm. and that that manic piece it's so interesting I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time so I don't know what month it was it might have been January might have been December maybe November of last year um, or January of this year I um I took a drive And I was just flying so high after working with these incredible people on last year's Connection Project. And I'm really looking forward to what's going to come this year with with you and I and the the thing that we create, whatever it ends up looking like. There was just sort of this victorious moment where I was like, I think I feel like I could drive to the psych ward where I was. I could drive and I could, there's a, I don't even know if it's a psych ward anymore. It's this old, old building. Um, with little square sort of pinky red tiles on the outside. And, you know, I drove around the loop and pulled up. It's almost like valet, really. <laughs> Drive up and a concierge says, welcome, we've been waiting for you, you know. And I drove up and I just took a deep breath in and, you know, thought about the floor I was on and who helped, what what didn't help in my process, the sort of dramatic theater person in me that needed to have that as part of my story um the help that I needed you know what it was like when I was in there and I just sat with all the versions of myself in that moment and sort of held myself in love and thought I'm so grateful to be living my life mindfully And I'm glad that I'm in a place where I get to share in community with others who have had similar struggles. Their stories are so vastly different, but the piece for me about joy was always through connection. And it's been quite an interesting struggle to not have those intimate, in-the-room connections with people, right? Mm. So... I look forward to ways in which we can help ourselves. You can help yourself. I can help myself. And we can create a, a stage, whatever it looks like, for not only yourself but others to share in their stories 
And I'm just super grateful that you're willing and open and that we've connected through family and semi-similar experiences. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think the mind has so much to teach us. And I believe that having gone through mental struggle allows us to enter into that flow state almost seamlessly, but to find a way to do it in in healthy ways is also, I think, a goal, an ongoing goal for me. I meditate for a minimum of 17 minutes as soon as I wake up in the morning. I don't even use the bathroom. I just sit up in bed, plug my headset in and go. And setting the tone for my life on a daily incremental basis is is sort of yeah i just wanted to share that with you in terms of my own well-being yeah what comes to mind is just that we we all have our own ways right our own mm-hmm. ways of being and it's solely up to us to sort of find that and discover that for ourselves that's sort of the joy piece for me the the vulnerability part i think is the way we can get there with a basis of truth. I think vulnerability is just truth, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, all other things fall away when we can sort of step into that. So if you were to um, pitch Caleb, the, <laughs> the <laughs> character to Netflix, what do you think that story would look like? The character or the story? Both. The uh, character of, you know, the one you want to tell, the fun Hmm. triumphant what have you I, you know what it's funny that you you go right to the fun and triumphant because i think that i probably would try and include as much of the hard stuff as possible that's um, the fun part for me <laughs> that's why <laughs> i guess i should have been clearer on that okay, okay. Yeah, yeah yeah i had a conversation the other day with a friend about the kinds of movies that we like and i and i talked about liking really difficult movies stuff that that isn't necessarily feel good and or isn't feel good at all um and he asked me why i like that stuff um and i just thought you know or i said i think it's important to acknowledge the really difficult aspects of life in order to show people that they're there because mm-hmm. So much of what sells is the positivity and the triumph and the, you know, pleasure. So people make that and they distribute it and they put it in front of, put it in front of people. But the stuff that, stuff that life is actually about is actually really boring. It's really slow. It's, you know, the meat and potatoes of life is not dramatic at all. It's just very mundane just people going about the things that they do to keep their day going. If you think about the process of making a movie, the camera is actually on for this tiny fraction of the day. And most of the movie is just setting up lights and rehearsing and moving in boxes and trailers and all that stuff. You know, that's not to say that I would pitch a movie of, of myself or my life that was just boring, (laughs) but, I would want to find ways to make it balanced and and make it include the harder, crappier, uglier bits, as well as the successful, exciting, interesting, quote unquote, interesting bits. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) it's hard to think about 
pitching my life. I think if I if if I were to try and pitch something, it would be about right now about my life in the future because I would always I'm, I'm always thinking about like what I'm going to do, what's going to happen. I would say I'm or at least I have been much more future oriented as a person, and so I would probably talk about what we're doing here with our animals and building a farm and trying to figure out how to you know reconcile the need to to do computer remote work with being very hands-on physical people um the desire to participate in this incredible social movement that's happening in america and in urban centers but be unable to because we're in the woods you know it, it creates a lot of uh dissonance in a way again it's all in our, it's all in the head because if i just look around springtime there's 10 pounds of kale outside my window and spinach and cauliflower and broccoli and there was an owl watching me a while ago and you know it's it's beautiful here and yet a pretty significant portion of my brain is filled with fret and concern and consternation over the incredible upheaval that's happening in the states and and seeing the pictures that my friends are posting and getting updates from them about what's going on and you know and yet here i am just in this little cabin in the woods yeah um so i think that would be a part of the what i would want to deal with in if making a a documentary or a, a movie about a show or whatever about here is, or my, my own life is how to, how to deal with this idea that I have what I think a lot of people consider to be a, the dream, the dream life, living in the woods, making my own food, got a little baby, we've got animals, we're making it work. But at the same time, I feel this draw towards participating in this movement and figuring out how to use my energy and my voice to further that movement without it feeling like virtue signaling or in insincerity or you know something like that i also think the show would involve al al alpacas and <laughs> uh, my wife a lot i've actually considered we we, we were encouraged um, by a good friend of ours to try and come up with some sort of show for somewhere about what we're doing, some network about what we're doing here. Cause I think Hannah's, I think what Hannah's doing is way more interesting than what I'm doing right now. <laughs> she's, she's trying to change a physical industry an industry that's about animals and land and industry, literal mills. Um, and she's trying to figure out how to turn it into a crafty, local micro scale she's trying to make a the micro brewery of of spinning mills basically that's her that's her goal and she wants to to change the idea that we just buy clothes as they are we don't really care where they come from or know where they come from and change it into saying like you can wear clothes that come from animals that you know very well that you feed every day and they they you know that you, you handle every day and you scoop the goo out of their eyes and you clip their toenails and you shear them once a year and you take care of them and you 
make sure they're not, you know, make sure they heal after they acquire war wounds. And yeah, and I feel a big part of the way I spend my day is in support of her and that um, mission. And then working on my silly show ideas. If those ever go anywhere, great. If not, fine. (laughs) Also fine. Yeah. Wow, there's so much richness in there. I mean, my my wheels are spinning as you're talking, having been in the property and 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 present and shared a meal with the two of you. And um it's so interesting um how much valuable, beautiful content is in a show like the one alone. Yeah, there's this big push behind it. There's like, oh, you win this much money if you survive in the wilderness for as long as you can. But it's actually the, the moments that captured me in a show like that were just the the truthful, raw experiences where people would just have these self-realizations and these experiences and and interaction with the land and, and the animals that were ones that... I think were more intended. And, you know, before we hit record today, you'd mentioned that the owl was present. I think that's so fantastic. You know, I'm always paying attention to what shows up. From my viewpoint right now, I can look at a mirror that reflects an oak tree outside across the road behind me. And so I've been watching the ravens. They've been really active today. And I feel it's really important to pay attention to that. So building a show around these beautiful animals that you love and work with and care for with the alpacas. I mean, there's, there's so much potential and I'm really curious, what are some of the movies that you discuss with your friend? If you, if you wouldn't mind sharing that were, if you can think of them offhand that were not maybe blockbusters or what have you, that were, (laughs) were ones that you felt portrayed a, a different story ones that mm. had hard stuff you know yeah i mean <laughs> i know i know tons of them um Yay. uh one of my favorite I, I might bring it back to filmmakers okay uh, yeah um because th- there are filmmakers that make stuff that really um resonates with me one of them is paul thomas anderson <laughs> you're, you're my favorite. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah i know his stuff uh inside out um i think he's brilliant i also am a big fan of michael henneke who is a austrian filmmaker older gentleman and his movies are vicious just mm. very very intense but incredibly smart just like next level in terms of the way that they understand story and its relationship to the form uh, of, of movies. Um, for example, he made a movie called Funny Games, which was a remake of a, a, an English language remake of his own movie, which is the, called Funny Games, but in Austrian or German or yeah. whatever. Um, I'm not fluent, so I wouldn't yeah. be able to help you out there. <laughs> you know, the English one would be fine. Um, but the story is about this family that goes to their lakeside cabin, kind of beautiful, idyllic lakeside cabin, okay. a beautiful young family. And they're visited by these two, I would say, like, young adult men dressed in, like, 
basically like tennis whites and white gloves and they and the, these two young guys come in and and uh torture them oh yeah but the way that the way that it's shot and the way that it's put together and the, the way that it plays out implicates you as the viewer in what the young torturers are doing because like occasionally the the characters will like look at the camera and sort of like say like you're coming with me Hmm. um and then at a certain point in the movie one of the characters picks up a remote and uses it to rewind the movie that you're watching so there's this like weird and it happens back and forth. It happens in several other instances in the movie, but it, it, it plays with this idea of it being a movie that you're watching, there being an audience for this movie, you as a member of that audience being somebody who's, who is complicit in what they're yeah. doing because you're watching it. And it kind of like play, it mixes all of that up and messes it around and it's amazing, but vicious. Wow. Um, and then there's another director who I don't, who I think is brilliant, but I, I think is also a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> He's made some incredible movies, but he, he, he uses, he, he has a technique of creating empathy for a female lead and then torturing or killing that female lead. But he, he does it formally in very fascinating, interesting ways. And um, it's funny that you talked about La La Land and having a dream and pursuing a dream earlier, because one of my one of my favorite of his movies is called Dancer in the Dark, and it's the only movie that Bjork ever Correct. made. And she, it's a musical, and she plays the lead. And the musical scenes, well, the the non musical scenes of the movie are shot with what feels like a handy cam doesn't doesn't feel like a high high budget highly controlled movie it just feels almost like a documentary like a 90s documentary and then when it goes into these musical sequences the way they shot it was they put a hundred cameras up in the place where this musical sequence was going to happen and then they just let the musical sequence play out and then ed once and then edited it together from the from that footage from yeah. the hundred cameras and it's Bjork. So the music is her music. It's about the music. The first, first one, for example, first sequence um, is in a factory and the music is composed of her voice and the sounds of the factory. And then it turns into dancing and she's dancing around. And, but she has a dream in that movie. She's the, she's the protagonist and she has a dream which is a much more restrained dream than the, than the dream in La La Land. Her dream is to be able to afford uh, eye surgery for her son because she's moved from Eastern Europe somewhere to America where there's opportunity um, and she is working two jobs maybe, saving up her money to pay for her son's eye surgery. And that's all I'd like to tell you because... Got it. Yeah, it's worth seeing. I've heard of that movie. It's it's totally worth seeing. So yeah, it's so interesting. Um, For me, anytime my heart is touched, you've got me. I am so uh, influenceable. Like I I can be, I can fall in love with a movie by the slightest thirty second small uh, cello. Yeah. 
if it grabs my heart, you've got me. You know what I mean? Anything basically that Joaquin Phoenix is in. I love <laughs> what he does. Yeah. I think he's a brilliant human being. Um, mm-hmm. The Joker ha- has made it onto my top 10 list. I thought that that was an absolutely incredible movie. I basically just lost it in the car on the way home after seeing it. Hmm. Mostly because it, I've, yeah, I've been there, you know, hmm. whale rider. Um, is that the, is that the Kiwi movie? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know, I grew up there. I was born there and haven't been back. And my heart just is being ripped out of my chest as I think about the possibility of travel in the future, you know, like, mm. ugh, wasn't expecting to get choked up. My, my missing of that place and that duality I would feel as a result of being so far away from the place where I learned to walk, talk, hear music, like the, the birds themselves, the, the smells in the forest. I think when a person's taken from their place of being as a child it it can do um whether by you know i just moved here with my family it wasn't some big traumatic thing but it was a huge trauma actually how how old were you when you left 12 wow so i was becoming who i was Mm. at 12 i feel like you transition into you have a concept of the world your place in it like the Mm. developmental stage Anytime I've in the, in my life planned to go back, something would always occur. And they were always either good or bad things. I, I mean, it's kind of neither here nor there, but there would always be something getting in the way. But I'm part of a, a writing group that I go to um, quite often on Wednesdays. And it shows up in my poetry all the time. So films that obviously are connected to New Zealand or about anything, I'm I'm like... I'm done for, right? So it's it's interesting. So you've got something like Whale Rider, then you've got The Joker. Um, mm. It's, a, you know, things like that. And um, some of that really brutal, the, the brutal violence are, are often films where you see the most beauty, which mm. is, I'm not sure how, how that translates inside me, but, it, you know, take something like Gladiator, Braveheart, Thunderheart, you know, atrocities on whole groups of people, you know, anything to do with indigenous people. It just, we, I think we're meant to feel it. So right now with what's, what's going on, you know, for, for myself, there was a a certain powerlessness. And on Friday, I was able to discover something that I could do. And that was focus on more on teaching my children about diversity and they get certain elements through being you know uh, from different backgrounds you know indigenous and and European descent but ways that I know I can share is through through arts so um, you know pulling out my record collection having those artists in my experience the songs like Billie Holiday you know Tracy Chapman Nina Simone, Sunny Terry, Brownie McGee, like just having um, really cultural and, and like a lot of hip hop. I don't know if that was part of your, your upbringing, but, you know, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, like so many things that I know, having not lived in 
um, a lot of diverse, uh, bigger cities or, or communities, my exposure was through music. And I'm so grateful for that. And so noticing that I can do uh, my part in opening and expanding my kids' knowledge of the world and, and the inclusivity of embracing all cultures, all races, and, and having appropriate thoughts about it. So, mm. yeah, I was not expecting to go off on that tangent, but I'll check out the Bjork film. Have you seen <laughs> The Joker? You know what? I haven't yet. I don't know wow. why. We, um, we haven't been watching a lot of movies. Got it. We'll, we'll watch. We don't have a TV. We'll watch on the iPad some shows just before we go to bed mm-hmm. or while we're in bed. It's probably not the healthiest practice, but. <laughs> 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 and yeah, for some reason, the Joker just, I'm not sure how interested in it Hannah is. I'll, I'll feel it out because I'd, I'd like to see it. It's just the the two hour movie commitment is yeah it's tougher when we're like oh we could just watch an episode of whatever one you know a twenty minute show or yeah yeah I I think for me uh, it just reflected elements of the the mental health journey and mm. it was intense but I am so extremely grateful that it was created and that mm-hmm. he played that role because I, I think he is just so gifted and it's close to his heart. Mm-hmm. His brother, you know, River, he's, uh, I've read articles and, and interviews he's spoken in. I think he's an extremely genuine human being and it, and it comes through in his acting and it's a, it's a hard watch, but for mm-hmm. me it was really valuable and yeah. Okay. So I'm not rubbing elbows with celebrities, but Thank you, Joaquin Phoenix. Thank you for the filmmakers. Like that vision, it, I, I thought it was extremely valuable to the conversation. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think from what I've heard, it seems like it's, it's especially valuable in the context of the superhero movie because so much of the quote-unquote superhero movie forms, the superhero movie form is formulaic and it, it follows a particular path and this was not necessarily set up as being a superhero movie, but I think a lot of people were like, this is going to be the origin of the Joker villain. And it seemed like it thwarted a lot of expectations, mm. at least from what I've, from what I've heard and read and seen. Valuable in any right. Well, mm. I knew we would go over time. <laughs> Is it, are we over time? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but it's all—it's all so so worth it. Um, uh, it's really you, worth it. Uh, did, were you a fan of uh, Inherent Vice? Have you seen Inherent Vice? I haven't seen it. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie with Joaquin Phoenix in it. I know. I tried searching. I couldn't get it on any of my whatever, like really? legitimate sources. Yeah, I've I searched for it a few months ago. Mm. I know. And if you like Joaquin Phoenix and you like, I mean, I you've probably seen the master. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, on Paul Thomas Anderson's side, the release of Magnolia came out when I was in acting school. And so playing around with a lot of those scenes and the storytelling and actually, believe it or not, I used the soundtrack to motivate me, 
um, to start a, a practice of running again, I would just listen to the soundtrack to, to Magnolia, which is mostly Super Tramp, right? Super um, Tramp and Amy and, and, Amy, and Mann. Amy, Amy Mann, who I yeah. adore. And uh, it was a pivotal moment for me. And I have actually used that since to conjure um, just the energy at that point in my life of just like, mm. oh, I can... I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to pursue acting and film and television, blah, blah, blah. It, it took a different form than I expected. And, and now I'm just creating places to, to, to get around the stage and mm. we'll probably return there yeah. uh, when it's, when it's you, possible. You, you'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah. 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 But I love that movie as well. I think Magnolia is a brilliant and I can't believe, well, I mean, he would have been in his early thirties when he made that. Maybe even in his 20s. No he need did. for braces, Danny. No need for braces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, so many, many good, yeah. Incredible characters. I inc know. Incredible, way, incredible ways of port portraying those characters, too. Like, the, the number of different characters that were in that movie and the economy of the filmmaking, like, in, the, in just two or three minutes you got it all You're like oh i know who these people are you know julianne moore was brilliant yeah yeah but i love i loved it. yeah Absolutely. the whole thing just fantastic yeah so i look forward to co-hosting with you because i'm gonna i'm gonna drag you in and have you let's think about the future so after we do this amazing 2020 mental health storytelling event that's going to be so full of richness and your um, artistic input and creation. I look forward to the next time we meet on this podcast to discuss our experience with all of the wonderful things that we got to play around with and explore. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it as well. I think um, it's been a long time for me to start acknowledging and owning my struggles my mental health struggles and and recognizing that they are they're something that can be dealt with and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean just sort of conquered that doesn't mean conquered but it means shared and and understood and expressed and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to working on the connection project with you and meeting all the people that are drawn to it from their own lives and from their own stories yeah, it's so awesome. And uh, there's uh, some people in Phoenix who have gotten hold of the, the storytelling and the connection project and the, the YouTube video about it. And they're going to be doing their own down there. So I look forward to hopefully being able to travel um, yeah. in early 2021 to go support them. I want it to have long lasting reach and for these conversations to just be a regular thing like we need to have the ability to go into the to the ugly challenging stuff because nobody knows a lot of people don't know how to have these conversations so they might feel like i did years ago there, there's something wrong with me right mm. there's something terribly wrong that mm -hmm. sinking feeling and that's where uh, really unhealthy sometimes unfortunate decisions are made right yeah, yeah. Right. So kudos to you for being a huge contributor to that in in what you're going to be doing um, going forward, but also the work that you've done up until this point 
and thank you for chatting with us today. Uh, it it means so much that there's really good people out there who are willing to share parts of their lives and their hearts to you know help others. Well, thank you for having me, and I am. Um, I feel honored that you would ask me for my stories. Yeah, I look forward to many more of them. And uh, yeah, to our listeners, I'll put links to the podcast, to some of Caleb's work, and we look forward to sharing uh, our projects going forward. And thank you for being here today. Stay connected. Be kind to one another. Take care. Once again, thank you for listening to the Connection Project podcast. If you wish to connect with myself or any of the guests, please leave a voice message on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash The Connection Project. Perhaps you'll hear yourself on an upcoming episode. To get in touch with me or to learn more about my work, please visit my website at emilyolsonpresents.com. The Connection Project podcast is edited and produced by Nick Gilchrist Audio Productions.